Welcome to the Prosperity Perspective by DML, a conversation about how successful business owners invest their hard-earned money to preserve their wealth and what they might have done differently in hindsight. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Today, we're joined by Dr. Connor Robertson, uh, who is a lifelong entrepreneur with a uh, detour into the chiropractic space. Uh, He's got a great story, very successful business, awesome service offering as well. And so excited to hear from him today. Connor, you mind sharing a little bit about yourself with the audience? Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on the show here. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Kind of a a quick story, right? I was telling you before we jumped on, uh, we'll go back to 2008 real quick. 2008, I I actually got in a hockey injury, fractured my spine, and I went to see an orthopedic surgeon. And they're like, hey, never go to a chiropractor. That's how this all started, right? So never go to a chiropractor, met the orthopedic surgeon. And then six months later, I'm like, I got to try it. I got to do it. haven't been to a chiropractor yet, but he said, don't do it. And you know me, I'll go do it. So I went to a chiropractor, felt really good actually after that, because that was, you know, somewhere between six and eight months after the injury. And I was very, very stiff, you know, fractured right in the middle of my spine, didn't move for two and a half weeks after that injury. So it was a big relief to have that, um, and decided, Hey, why not actually do this as a profession? Right. So, uh, 2014, went to chiropractic school, went to New York chiropractic. And the cool thing there is you actually don't take summers off. You just go all the way through. So just like a a marathon nonstop, no summers. And you get to do five years of school in three and a third years, I guess it would be. Uh, And then came out, moved to Pittsburgh, practiced for two years, quit my job overnight to build a tech company. Uh, All well, focusing on entrepreneurship, right? Like how do we build something that's valuable to the marketplace that we can then sell to them and then deliver the service. So that's how we got to where we are today. A company name is Syntax, um, S-Y-N-T-A-C-Z. We're a tech company and we uh, basically build marketing systems for B2B companies. Very nice. Um, How'd you go from chiropractic to tech and uh, how did you uh, I believe a lot self-taught, right? So yeah, you know, very self-taught. you and kind of how did you go down that direction? Yeah. So uh, my parents have been in, in recruiting, uh, traditional headhunting recruiting since 2000. So 21 years in that. And a lot of that shifted over time, right? From 2000 to 2008, pre-market crash, it was very manual. The internet was coming out of the dot-com bubble and it was just, hey, what's going to happen with the internet? And then we got into LinkedIn and LinkedIn started taking off. So I watched them build a company um, from two people and you know, dollars $200,000 a year to a $10 million company with 65 people in like two seconds. I was like, wow, this is crazy. How are they doing this? Uh, And one of the big premises of the company was we use LinkedIn to find jobs for people. And most people who think LinkedIn think, hey, it's the job and resume website, which then it was. And today it's become a business kind of platform, right? It's really a B2B kind of marketplace to transact business. And so I watched them use the platform. And while I was doing my chiropractic thing, I realized, listen, I'm just trading time for dollars and it's not really an effective way for me to, to grow my net worth. So I said, hey, why don't we build a tech company where I can hire people that are smarter than me to do things that I can't do, right? And I wanted to be self-taught, like you said. And so I decided, okay, well, let's not just hire people who are smarter. Let's all also figure out what they're doing. And so I self-taught all the different things, right? Started with HTML, went to CSS, finished out web development design, shifted into marketing, direct response marketing, and then into technology and automation. And so we put it all together, built the company, crafted a couple different offers, and here we are today. <laughs> That's the story. That's fascinating. And so it was, I, I guess that first couple, kind of how did you know what you were, what the service was that you were going to provide to others, right? So no idea. Okay. Zero, so right? Did, was it test and learn? Like, uh, yeah. how did you kind of jump in? 
Yeah. So when we very first, uh, when we started, there's actually this guy randomly I met while I was still in chiropractic, uh, in the practice, we were selling some technology and he came to me. He's like, Hey, I can help you with LinkedIn. I can help you find people that might want to buy the technology that you guys are doing. So he set me up some automations and was running it. And this was like bootstrap legacy LinkedIn. Like nobody was doing automation at the time. Nobody's doing marketing. I was like, wow, this is crazy good that this guy's got this all figured out. Um, and so I basically watched him, learn from him, and then took all those ideas and started building it. First client we had, I think we charged $200 a month. It was like, we basically were losing money, right? $200 a month to run marketing systems. I'm like, well, I look back now and I'm like, there's no way that was ever going to be profitable. Uh, and basically we had one that turned into two, turned into five. And then we actually changed our price probably seven times, just raised it a little bit as we got more you know, meat on the bones, raised the price probably seven times over 10 months and just kept ratcheting it up. New service, new price. Started, I think it was $249, then went to like $499, then went to $699, $799, $999, $1,500. Then we built it into a non-recurring service. So instead of charging monthly for like a retainer, we basically packaged it and said, let us build the machine for you like we'd build a car and give it to you. And so we basically changed our whole business model from monthly recurring services to these implementations uh, where we can build it for small businesses, they can own it, and then they never pay us again. So that that's how it changed. We just guessed our way to the to to where we are today. I guess guessed your way into a successful business, which is <laughs> not bad, right? Not bad. Um, so you're obviously a partner of a couple successful businesses, right? The recruiting firm with uh, that your parents are working yep. with, right? The tech company that you've been explaining to us. And so the big question for us is, you know, as you've reached that point of you know becoming an accredited investor not having to worry about, you know, cash flow coming in, having excess cash flow. What did you do with that cash flow and kind of what was your mindset and strategic framework for uh, where to put it? Yeah. So I think it really started with tax, right? It was like one of these things that you started learning how tax works as, as you go through it. I mean, I'm Canadian, right? Uh, originally. So I, I learned the whole Canadian tax system. And then when I came to the US, I realized like, wow, it's a little different here how things work, right? There's there's different ways that you, you can write things off. The depreciation schedules are a little different. In 2018 with the administration, they really changed a bunch of tax law. And so it's one of these things where you're like, okay, there's all these rules that can reduce the tax I pay today. And then I can take the savings uh, that, that I didn't have to pay to the you know three-letter acronym, right? The I to the R to the S, our favorite people. Uh, and then basically figure out how can I deploy that cash into something that makes sense, right? Whether that's you know stocks and bonds or it's non-traditional investment, real estate, uh, life insurance policy, some of the more advanced techniques. Um, and so I just thought to myself, tax today and long-term wealth later. So I kind of do a little bit of both. What was... Kind of some of the first things that you tried or you started investing in. Yeah. So Roth, right? Uh, a Roth IRA. Um, that was the very first thing until I realized that there's an income limitation to it. I didn't realize that was uh, a thing until I got into it pretty deep. So I, you know, uh, thinking I was all super smart, let's invest some money, right? Post-tax dollars, let's put it into a Roth, let it grow tax-free, tax-deferred um, and did the contribution. 
And then I realized, like, I think the income threshold is like 130 something thousand dollars. There's a phase out over time. I'm like, well, this is not going to be a good strategy long term. It's going to be great in the beginning. It's going to be very helpful to put some cash away, but long term, that's not going to be useful. So then I actually hit pause on everything, which is probably the worst uh, investment technique that you could do. But I hit pause because I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, I can't do this thing. Some of these other strategies, like a 401k or a SEP or some of these other like in market strategies, weren't that great. Uh, And then I actually came across cash value life insurance policies, which I was like, wow, this is really crazy. And just before the call here, I just telling you, one of our brokers, he just called me to let me know that a new policy is in effect. And, and for the, I don't know what the knowledge level of everybody listening to the show is, but basically what we do is we take uh, index universal life IUL policies that have a small amount of insurance in a large cash value. I'm young, 27. So I have very little risk, relatively speaking, and we pay the insurance. And we put a bunch of cash on the front end of those policies, and then we let it grow. And then we borrow it back from ourselves to do things like real estate or other maybe higher risk, more liquidity-based techniques like real estate or investment properties, or even Bitcoin, if you think that that's your, your strategy, right? I'm, I'm diverse. So um, that, that was kind of the whole premise of like, I can get an insurance policy. I can protect it from pretty much anything by wrapping it the investment in insurance, and I can borrow it almost whenever I want. So to me, that seemed like a great place to store the cash. And then later, as new opportunities come up, I can deploy. Um, So when you talk about storing the cash, it's kind of a, are you looking for return there? Or is it, hey, that's more a long-term thing. I don't really care about short-term. And I like that it's accessible because I can tap into it to go do these other things until I refinance or make enough money to pay it back or whatever that may be. Yeah. So, so the two different things that first thing was, uh, we actually did a conversion from a, uh, single member LLC to an S corp and then S corp to a C corp. This is actually important for the design of how this stuff all works. Right. So what we did was we actually took, uh, an S corp and converted it to a C corp so we could do a section 162, which again, you know, we all wanted to write off the cash as soon as possible. So the business contributed the policy for myself. I get the tax deduction. Um, not really today because we pay the tax at the 21% corporate rate, but I get to grow it tax-free. So the first thing was, can I save tax? The next thing was, what is the liquidity like? And I like the IUL or whole life kind of models. And then the third thing was, if I borrow it and I put it back, does it still grow? And from my understanding, it's one of the only types of policies, right? Insurance-based policies with cash value are one of the only things that allow that two-way accessibility. You go to a 401k, and you take something out early, you're going to get crushed on fees. If you go to a Roth, same thing, you might have some you know, kind of penalties that are assessed there. So the, the insurance policy were the only thing that I could think of that would allow you to go both ways and still do real estate, other investment opportunities, or just lend money to yourself, be your own bank. So you started with the tax and it sounds like it was, you know, hey, you're looking at traditional um, retirement plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, you kind of evolve to this insurance, setting up the structure of the company in a way that, you know, you take the tax hit at a lower corporate rate, but you get all the benefit personally. 
How did you then go from there to these other things that you're talking about where you're drawing money out of the life insurance to go invest elsewhere? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds like, and, and when people explain it too, it sounds crazy, right? Like it, there's a lot of moving parts with it. And it seems like a, a really, like, I think people imagine we're just sitting here all day on the computer, like moving money around and trying to make it work, but it's a little easier than that, right? The money comes out of the business, goes to the insurance policy. And then when you need it, you can borrow it back, which is, you know, a couple phone calls or, or an email with an authorization form. The What we're doing right now, um, I'm actually looking at uh, doing two different things, right? Um, number one is we're looking at a Airbnb in Denver. So Denver is still a growing kind of population. I live in Pittsburgh. We're looking at an Airbnb with a partner uh, that I have from another business. And we're going to basically borrow from the life insurance policy to put a down payment on the property. We're going to, it's going to appreciate and give me the depreciation. So I get the tax right off again, right? Which is great. And then uh, at some point we'll refi, get the cash back out of the property, put the money back into the IUL, and now it's going to grow again. So it's like this revolving door of like, I can be my own bank instead of going to, you know, uh, the actual bank. So that was the reason that we did it. I think the long-term strategy, to be honest with you, is to leverage the shareholder loans. And I think some people are familiar with this within a C corporation, but generally what you can do is you can take a loan as a shareholder from your business at a nominal rate of interest and just keep paying it back and forth. It's like lending yourself money. And so for me, I look at that and say, why would I get a loan from a bank that has fixed terms when I can set the terms myself at the very low interest rate I can do whatever I want with it. Flexible. So in that case, would you forgo the insurance altogether? Because you can set your own terms and obviously it reduces your revenue on the corporate side, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. it achieves the reduction in tax. Do you need the insurance at that point? Uh, no, I, absolutely not. Right. I think the it, it's a va very valid point. I like the uh, diversification of it because most of the insurance policies, uh, especially if you're like IUL, uh, you're playing the risk game, right? The IUL is going to have higher risk, higher reward, whereas like a whole life policy is going to get you 5% per year flat, right? It's never going to go down. It's never going to go up to 5% flat. And they usually issue like a dividend or whatever. The IUL is like flexible. I can put in a little or put in a lot. So my first strategy is depreciation buy the real estate to get the depreciation, whatever's left goes into the insurance policy. So I actually do it the opposite way. It's just that when I first started, I didn't have a deal to do. So I had no choice, but the, the, you, know, you can't buy a thing that you don't have. So I basically put it into the insurance policy. You don't have to have a piece of land to put that on. Right. Is there, as you look back to kind of the beginning when this wealth was accumulating, is there anything you would have done differently earlier on? Yeah, I wouldn't have gone to school. I think there's <laughs> there's a <laughs> a lot of uh, interest that's accrued. The good thing is I took a Canadian loan because I'm Canadian, and at the time, uh, Prime in Canada it was about two point seven five, and then dropped to or went up to like three something, and then now is down to two point four five. So great interest rates compared to the U.S. as a whole. The loans were all Prime plus. 1%. So very, very conservative loans. I went on the aggressive, like my first year out of school, I paid nothing on my loans because I couldn't afford to because I made no money. But then the second year I was like, man, I'm getting after this thing ASAP because I spent a quarter million dollars to go to school, which you know is a few dollars. So I basically figured out how can I pay that down as quick as possible? But number one thing is don't take bad debt. Student loan debt is bad debt for the most part, right? There's some people are like, yeah, but you're getting education. You're getting like, okay, it's a quarter million dollars at 3%. That's not ideal, right? That's like a mortgage without getting the house at the end. Um, so fun times. But what we did was pay that down very, very quickly. And now the strategy is look at how much income we're going to make each year on the personal side through the business and figure out what do I need to buy to make that income equal zero. So if you're going to make 
400 grand, how can I buy enough assets to write off the full 400 grand? And so now the strategy is just look at where we're at for income and try to buy something that's going to take care of that. How do you determine or find those things that will take care of it? Right? You've obviously mentioned real estate. Are there other elements or uh, things that you're looking into for those kind of tax deferral write-offs? Yeah. So I think it, it it's a bit of everything, right? That's the whole thing is like the, the name of the game for the tax planning side, from my experience is like, you got to find 15 to 20 small things that kind of add up over time. There's no one like, Hey, this is going to do it all for you. Generally speaking, um, the real estate is nice if you cost segregate, right? If you take a cost segregation study and you get something done depreciated in let's say five years, you put a hundred K down, you get a $500,000 property. Let's just assume the land's included and you can get $100,000 depreciation every year. You basically spent 100 but got 100 back. So it's like a total wash. The next best thing, if you don't want to do that, is to go into something like the executive bonus plans, the insurance, because you're going to pay the, like you said, the 21% as opposed to the heavy, heavy, like 40 to 50%, right? So you get to write off that cash there. To the left of that, the worst case is like take payroll because payroll you get crushed on, right? It's like you're going to pay half a self-employment tax plus the business is going to pay a portion of that plus federal, state, and local. So it's like the worst possible thing you could do is pay yourself uh, W-2 income if you can avoid it, right? So that's the backwards math, real estate first, then the insurance policy, and then any of the pre and post tax like you can't do Roth. So you got to figure out some of these other techniques. Or um, one thing is like lending money, right? Have being a capital uh, investor and just saying, hey, take my money and put it in a deal. That's also a great opportunity. The only downside that I have sometimes is like, how quick can you get the money back out? Liquidity can sometimes be an issue. So I like to have the liquid deals first, and then the more e-liquid deals where you can put something in that's going to be a buy and hold for five years, totally untouchable. What sort of returns are you looking for once you're getting, you know, you're moving further along. Okay. You've taken care of tax and now you're looking at other (laughs) things, right? Like, okay, tax first. What sort of return are you looking for on these other investments? Yeah. It really depends on if there's a depreciation factor or not, because if there's a depreciation factor, I'm actually willing to take 0% on it. So like if I, if I had like, uh, let's say there's 400 K in income and I'm like, I want to pay no tax on that that 400K would be taxed at what, 40%, right? Roughly. So if I can offload 400K through a real estate deal, I'll actually take a zero cap. No problem. You know what I mean? I'll take a negative cap. I'll pay every month to, to not have to pay the, the tax on the front side, right? So ideally, yeah, like a, a 10 cap rate would be awesome um, on a deal like that, or even like a, you know an eight, a seven, maybe even a six. Um, would be fine, but I actually don't care that much about cash flow personally on those deals because I get the appreciation of the property over time, right? And I get the depreciation today, which is like really the most important thing for me because I want to get rid of the active income. So uh, zero cap, if you want the real answer. <laughs> You're one of the most aggressive I have uh, bumped into in terms of eliminating all tax liability, uh, which is cool. Uh, it's interesting. It's a different approach, right? Because uh, from your end, you're just using. You don't care about cash flow, but you do need the cash flow from the business to do what you're talking about, right? To Correct. Yeah, but we we are good at making it on the business right. side, right? So we have a, a way that's producing cash flow on a monthly basis through the business, right? We're not build, building the business to sell; we're building it for cash flow, and so that produces the cash. I don't need a lot to live. I don't buy. I don't have a Ferrari, right? I don't buy stupid stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with Ferrari. If you want a Ferrari, go get one, right? But it's. I don't want to have a $7,000 a month payment um, on a depreciating asset. So uh, the first name of the game is to 
lower the tax. Absolutely. The next uh, thing for me is a cap rate that is healthy is, would be ideal, right? I do want to get cash flow, but at the end of the day, where else are you going to save your, get a 40% return right now? Because that's what you get by saving the tax, right? You get the 40% discount on all the cash that you wrote off. That's a pretty good return this year. Yeah, for sure. I'm imagining you get to a point where you've got more money than you can, you need to write off, right? Uh, yes, absolutely. So. And then what you do is you have to shift into, uh, um, instead of cost segregating and crunching all the depreciation up front, you leave some of these properties on a longer depreciation schedule. You leave them on a 15 year, you leave them on a 39 year depreciation schedule because you'll go get it later. The only problem is like, how do you figure out how much you're going to make? Because maybe next year is going to be better. Or maybe next year is going to be worse. So it's kind of like this game of, you know, how much are you going to make? Um, the one thing I really like about the IUL actually is that if you contribute long enough, all the gains because you paid the tax day are, are tax-free, right? So if you have a, let's say you put in, I'm 27 now, let's say do 23 years of contribution until 50 at let's say 60K a year. I got to pay the tax on that. So like, 80k, let's call it. Well, that will get you out 150k a year starting at 50, tax free. It's like, do you really need 150k a year tax free to live? You probably could live on less. That's a pretty good strategy. Depends how you uh, how many toys you buy over the years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing is like the most of those people don't have. They do have an income problem, right? Like they they should make more. They want to make more. But the bigger problem is they have a spending issue, right? Where it's like, um, I, I talk about this all the time to our, our customers and just friends and it is all about income shifting, right? The name of the game is to shift as many expenses that would be after-tax expenses to shift them to be pre-tax expenses, right? Like there's a reason we wear logoed clothing, right? It's because like if you want to buy a $20 t-shirt with post-tax dollars at 40%, that's actually going to cost you $30 to buy it. Or you can buy it pre-tax and save yourself the 40% tax rate, right? So it's like, it just depends on how much you want to do, right? You got a logo shirt on as well. The deduction, yep. there we go, right? Same yep. thing. So that's why I, I look at it that way because that's the best deduction you're ever going to get. That's the best return on investment. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, so you'd mentioned if you go back, you'd skip school. Was there anything in the schooling process at any point in time? Like at what point would you cut off and say, hey, I've got the baseline of what I need or the connections that I've made through the networks in school that I've got enough to go teach myself what I need to learn and, and be successful? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a value to learning and education as a whole. I just think the the debt load associated with most degrees in America are a little bit aggressive, right? Like to pay a quarter million dollars to go make 60 is kind of a, a not the best trade, especially when you got to think about that that quarter million, most people never pay it back, right? The number of people that are 50, 55, 60 years old that are still holding student loan debt, it didn't cost them a quarter million. It cost them 600,000 because they've been paying Five percent or six percent every year since they were twenty-five. It's like that's the that's the silent killer, right? You talk about like you know smoking and drinking the silent killer. Like no, that's the real silent killer. That will take you down, right? Is if you if you sit on that that ball and chain. So I think some people underestimate the compounding because that is really the the thing that can really grow your net worth or kill your net worth. And so I would say the time to stop is when you are willing to jump. Right. Like when you're just willing to not have to go to school. Right. And for me, uh, 
I probably shouldn't have done the chiropractic degree as a whole. I think I should have just jumped out before then. And honestly, I think a lot of people in in my parents' generation uh, really pushed school. They're like, you got to do it. You're not going to get a job, right? And it just it just like was a thing. Like you just had to do it. Um, and and you know they were paying for uh, the first degree, and so I was like, all right, if you're paying for it, I'll do what you say, right? Um, I just think that there's a lot of people who waste time trying to please other people. I would just say, listen, like if you don't want to do school, you can learn everything you need to learn online today. There's nothing you can't learn. Zero. Um, what's the most interesting thing you're investing in or working on today? Yeah. So I'm trying to understand the NFT space. I know there's a lot of people talking about that. I don't understand it at all yet. And I just, I just had to talk to one of our partners from uh, uh, another company. There's an advertising company that uh, I'm a minority partner in. And these guys are buying all these piece of artwork that are NFT driven. And I'm like, I don't even understand how this works yet. I'm so far behind trying to learn everything else. I think that's a cool space to be in. I don't get it enough to understand. Um, but I would say, uh, I think cryptocurrencies as a whole are going to be here to stay long-term. I, I do think the hedge on that is they are going to stay. Uh, I am looking for probably a sell opportunity on Bitcoin at 105. I think that's my like pull lever on it is as soon as it cracks 105, that's like I'm taking everything out and probably 1031 that into whatever else we can, right? That That's that's the goal. I, I think that's going to, I don't think it's going to be the ceiling, but for me, it's like, that's enough ROI that I'm, I'm good to go. At you got your sell order in already? No, no, it's not. I'm on. I think I trade all. All I buy on a Coinbase and hold on Celsius. I don't even know if there's options to put to to put those kind of limits in, but I probably should figure that out so that I can actually set it. Um, the cool thing is too. That's the other thing. Uh, because there's volatility in crypto, they issue you know six percent. I think it's six point oh seven percent on the first five Bitcoin inside of Celsius. So it's like ridiculous return on money just by holding it in there. Yeah, you might lose everything because it's Bitcoin, but you know the six percent is pretty solid if you ask me. I love it. Six percent on negative is it really six percent? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that's the thing is like I don't quite understand that because really you're trading one currency almost for another currency, but they're giving you interest. Right? I think it's like I said, I think it's six point oh seven percent on but in Bitcoin, right? So it's like, it's just kind of like it messes with your head when you think about, I'm earning interest. I have a gain on a thing that's not real that I have to eventually trade to a currency that is real to use. So just like, it's just a mind bender for people, I think. But um, that's the, buy. I, I'm calling it right now on the show. Today's what, uh, Tuesday, August 31st or like 8.40 PM Eastern here. 105 is, is that's where I think the ceiling's going to be. What a mistake in the ground. Yeah, 105 USD on Bitcoin. Yeah, along with the uh, NFTs falling right in that same category of nothing that has yeah. some sort of value to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, appreciate the time today, uh, Connor. What's the best way for our listeners to connect back with you? Yeah, I mean, I think it just if you just Google my name, Dr. Connor Robertson, there's a lot of things on, on Google there, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all the different social handles are there. Um, for any of you who uh, like podcasting, theprospectingshow.com would be a great spot to learn about business as well. I'm, I'm looking forward to at some point, hopefully we can set something up and have you as a guest on that show and share your knowledge and passion. Um, but yeah, just uh, check out Syntax, S-Y-N-T-A-C-Z.com if you're interested in learning about growing your business B2B. And uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks for being on, Connor. Thank you for joining us today on The Prosperity Perspective. If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, please head over to theprosperityperspective.com 
where you can hear from other successful business owners on their approach to investments. On our website, you'll be able to learn more about how DML Capital currently helps other business owners, like yourself, diversify their investments and grow their wealth. Take our short quiz to see if you're ready to take the next steps toward your financial success. 